Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Thankfully, the Premier League is back this weekend after the now traditional annual realisation that the FA Cup ain't quite what she used to be. The one thing we do know, though, the League Cup is quite fun. We'll talk about that on the show. So, too, ridiculous rumours and strange signings. All that plus plenty more coming up on the Gagan pod. Richard Bayless with you. Dave Weiner is out with a groin injury. We won't go too much into that, but I've got an illustrious panel alongside me this week as we talk football. First of all, Luke Wilkshire, former Socceroos and Premier League player, is with us. Hey, Luke. G'day, mate. How are you? Very well. Well, from an Australian perspective, maybe not so well. We'll talk about the Socceroos and the Asian Cup a little bit later on in the show, but yes or no, can they still win it? Yeah, look, as uh, of course, there's still a possibility. Obviously, it's uh, not a great start, but we'll touch on that a bit further. We've also got a man in the studio that has scored against Jordan and one that I'm not too sure if you would actually care too much about the Socceroos losing. Shane Smeltz is with us, former Kiwi striker and A-League legend. It can't be too hard scoring against Jordan, surely. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what all the fuss is about, really. It's, um, you know, a couple of goals in the bag for for, for myself against Jordan and, and everyone's um, acting like it's a little bit hard. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later, I think. Call him up, Arnie. Another striker alongside us, Michael Bridges. Hello to you, mate. Good to see you, Rich. Happy New Year, mate. Happy New Year. I'm not sure about yourself. I know you've seen it, but I've spent a lot of time, Bridgie, watching the Sunderland doco on Netflix. Unbelievable access. You must, as a former Sunderland player, get quite emotional watching that, and I imagine that you would know quite a few of those characters. There's a lot of change in the staff, as in the playing side, Rich, but behind the scenes, not much has changed, to be honest with you. Andy, who's on the door, it was great to see him. And Sue, the media lady, you often see her floating around in the background, uh, and she's part of the furniture at the football club and the guys that are on the players' lounge as well, serving you drinks on a regular basis. It's a cracking documentary, and it's great to see an insight in the history and the culture at the Sunderland um, you know, at the stadium and what goes on in that area and how much it relies on that that football club. And Martin Bain, the chief executive, is a a central figure and I imagine or I I know that you've had some contact with him as well. Yeah, when when, just after Grayson got sacked, actually, Ange Postacoglu's name was in the hat for this job and I had a discussion with Martin Baines. He wanted to know a lot about Ange and what he was was about because obviously over here in Australia, Ange is a massive name, winning the Asian Cup, become a bit of a... When you see that kind of name in front of you at Martin Baines in England, they kind of want to know, who is this guy? What is he all about? Australian coaches, I don't think, have got the recognition now as what they do deserve. Um, obviously, Popper had a go over there. Baines rang up and I, I told him all about Andrew and what I felt that he'd done at Brisbane. And he said his name was in the hat. And then, obviously, Coleman was announced and Baines went with his man. And in that documentary, Martin Baines actually says, managers are, are there for results and so am I. And he's not there anymore because he he was part of the reason. I do believe Sunderland fell by the wayside. He had a lot to do with the signings and with the money that he was given for short. Well, don't give away too much, Bridgie. I haven't seen the whole series. I don't want to know what happens oh, at the sorry. end of it. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Premier League. Of course, where Sunderland aren't anymore. The Premier League is back after an FA Cup weekend that had some mixed results. And of course, it's thrown up the age-old debate as to whether or not the FA Cup has lost its shine. But as we do look ahead, there's one match in particular on the Premier League schedule. 
How about we call it a Maurizio Pochettino off because it's the Tottenham side coached so well by Pochettino up against the club that seemingly want him to be in charge next year. It's Tottenham and Manchester United. This one is fascinating for many reasons because it seems as though with Spurs only six points off the top, Luke, that they're all of a sudden everyone's second favourite team. They've become one of the more likeable stories, haven't they? Yeah, for sure they have. Look, um, you know, not just results, but the way that they're playing. Uh, and look, I think they're a dark horse. Everyone's talking about the Liverpool and Manchester City, uh, that two-horse race up there. But I think they're, they're, they're lurking about. And and this, I think, it could be the opportunity for you know Tottenham to really make a, a big statement against Man United, who obviously have been on a good run. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if they knock them off. It's almost as if people aren't quite convinced of Tottenham yet, Smelty. The fact that they are quite close is a bit of an anomaly. Maybe they're overachieving. And going into this one, you can't say they're outright favourites for this because Solskjaer, since he's, he's come in at United, they're five from five and there's a lot of momentum there. should be a great game. Yeah, it makes for a real interesting encounter. I think, um, you know, Tottenham, I, I think people feel that way because they haven't managed to do it in, in previous years. You know, they've been there, thereabouts. Um, yes, they play great football and they've, they've always got a good team. Um, but there's something different about them at, at this stage. I think Pochettino's built this team up to where they are now. Um, he's an extremely likable guy. Every time he does media, I think that's why team, uh, a lot of people sort of look at him and and enjoy listening to him and, and enjoy you know the players like playing for him. You can see that, um, and it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can go along uh, and get the job done uh, this season. When they met last time out, Bridgie at Old Trafford. Awesome game. United played really well, particularly the first half, but Tottenham won that one 3-0, and it was Pochettino at his absolute tactical best in that one. What do we see now that Solskjaer is in charge at United and he's brought that confidence back to them as well? It's Tottenham are facing a completely different animal now with Solskjaer um, at the helm of Manchester United. If it had been Mourinho, I would have been saying Spurs win all the way. The form that United are in at this moment in time, is absolutely brilliant. He's given the players a fresh lease of life. And Pochettino and, and Spurs have got it all to do. They have got a very, very good home record. However, last two matches, three matches, um, they've beaten Manchester United. But this is a different beast. And I'm really looking forward to this game. And I'm just hoping that it is a Spurs win. Maurizio Pochettino said that he wants to be at Tottenham for 20 years. Now, I'm not too sure how smart that is because that could come back to bite him. But it seems as though, you know, maybe one of those jobs that he's being linked with in the United post might not become available if Solskjaer continues to be a success there. How long do you think, boys, before people go, you know what, give the job full-time to Ole Gunnar? Look, uh, you know, five in a row, you know, that's um, nothing to choke about, and especially the way they've been playing, the goals they've been scoring. But look, you, you know, you come in and it's early, he's, he's made that impact, which he always did off the bench as a player, right? Uh, he'd love to make an impact. but <laughs> He still looks as young. But was he good enough to play the 90 minutes? Is he good enough to, to go on further than this interim? Well, remains to be seen. Can I just say the message from Pochettino? He said he wants to remain at the club for 20 years, Rich. Yeah. I think he's just hoping that within that 20-year time frame, he might actually play a game back at White Hart Lane. Because <laughs> it's been knocked back yet again. It's no guarantee. Well, he'll be hoping to sign a player in that time as well. And there are rumours linking Christian Eriksen away from the club. They've put a massive price tag on him. But it seems as though over the past couple of years that he's a manager that can keep players there because the fact that Harry Kane is still there, Deli Alley arguably as well, Christian Eriksen is not a done deal to leave that club because there's something about Pochettino that makes players want to play for him. Yeah, there is. And that's that's what you can see. You can see it clearly. Um, players enjoy playing for him. Uh, I mean... They've got a history of producing good players. Um, obviously, 
selling players as well, and they don't tend to buy as much as, as the other the big four. Um, so it's he, he he's doing a fantastic job, um, and it's it remains to be seen whether he can keep that up and go to the next stage by doing that. Though, who wins this one, boys? Quickly, Bridgie, Tottenham Hotspur, Tottenham, Tottenham. Yeah, you had a bit of a bit of a one of pause you, there. One of you I say Manchester United, no. please. I think it'll be a, a great game. I'm hoping for goals. Yeah, it should be a goals. cracker at Wembley. Not yet at White Hart Lane, as Bridgie says. They're not too far away from moving into their new home. Elsewhere, of course, this weekend, Liverpool still the league leaders. Now, I have to give my players player this week to the Optusport social guys because they absolutely got what they were after. They did a bit of fishing on social this week. They put out a post that said, Liverpool haven't won in 2019, have only lost every game in 2019. And it's fact. And it, a lot of people out there took the bait, the fact that they lost, of course, to Manchester City. Then they lost 2-1 to Wolves in the FA Cup. But Bridgie, they're still on top of the table and they head to a Brighton side that they typically give a touch-up to. They certainly are, Rich. And because we've been working for Optus Sport in the Premier League last two or three seasons, I was the first one to cop that abuse from my mate Adrian, who is a massive Liverpool fan. He travels from Australia. He texts me saying... Can you sort your social media team out? They are an absolute disgrace, what they have wrote. I said, Adrian, it is fact. And you've had a big bite. So uh, it, it went down very, very well. And, you know, it, this is a big game. It's not going to be easy. They've come off the, the back of two losses. Yes, it was a lesser team against Wolverhampton. I do believe Klopp got a bit arrogant there with that one. And Brighton fighting for their life. So, well, not fighting for their life. They're, in, they're going to be in about it, but it's going to be a tough game, but a very enjoyable one. Well, last time out, they won 5-1 at Brighton. But on that day, Emre Chan and Philippe Coutinho were on the score sheet. Obviously, it's a different-looking Liverpool now, but arguably they've only got better since then. So it could be very difficult for a Brighton side, of course, that do not have Matt Ryan. Now, Liverpool... The fact they're out of the FA Cup was welcomed by a lot of fans. And I have to admit, I'm guilty of this. When I saw my side lost in the FA Cup, I thought that's great as well because we need to focus on league form. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it, when it comes to the FA Cup, Luke? The fact that fans don't really care anymore, even though it's silverware on the line and a club like Liverpool expect to win silverware. Have we seen that magic completely disappear now? Look, I don't think completely disappear. Obviously, given the fact the position they're in in the Premier League, that that's their first focus. I think um, if you saw, if you look at the likes of Manchester United, who are, who are obviously lacking in the Premier League, I'll see the FA Cup as a as an important cup. So, look, it's a tough one to to see, but I think it's a dangerous one in Liverpool's situation. Um, you know, they've got a great record against Brighton. Uh, they haven't lost to Brighton since 1984, but off the back of two losses now, Manchester City in great form. They've seen that. They've seen them win nine nil. Um, they're going to be looking over their shoulder. And, you know, these, these are tough games. When you go away, they're Brighton are a tough team to beat. Klopp made a massive statement at Liverpool. He said, if I don't win anything in four years, then I'm held accountable. Okay, so you'd want to win the FA Cup, surely. I didn't see Ferguson when they were Manchester United would win the treble, playing lesser teams to get in there and do it. They went and won the treble because they wanted that mentality to say that they were going to win every single game. And that's why I feel that Klopp in this moment, in that, that FA Cup, he disrespected the cup and he concentrated in the Premier League and it could come back to, to bite him in the backside to be fair um, and yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> no thank you and they're now of course only fighting domestically in the league and of course in the Champions League Bayern Munich is a big task that awaits though in the final 16 speaking of big tasks keeping Manchester City at bay will be difficult a four point gap is handy at this time of the year but the form that City have found obviously they beat Liverpool 2-1 since then in two cup games they've scored 16 goals including a 9-0 semi-final first leg victory if you don't mind over Burton Albion Smelts how on earth do those Burton players return to the Pirelli Stadium for a second leg? This could get a lot worse. Yeah, look, they're, <laughs> they're flying. Um, 
they've found form at a great time. Um, they're scoring goals for fun, and I think I think City are, uh, <laughs> City are, are flying, as we say, and I think they. They um they're going to be difficult. They're they're in a great position. They're sitting behind. I think they probably prefer to be in this position right now. Um, if you're sitting at top, you're you're the one that's that's being chased. Um, they can just keep picking up points, keep keep the momentum going, and um, I'm sure they're confident. And they've got players, and they've they've got a coach that knows how to get the job done. So they'll they'll be happy. I suppose a lot comes down to how long the grass is as well at the Etihad this weekend when they host Wolves. They might want to make sure that Pep gets there and talks to the groundsman early. Of course, Burton as well, Bridgie, they like the grass long. So maybe you can blame the nine goals on that. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, Just probably the best performance I've seen professionally from a a team. It's very hard to go into a cup match against lesser opposition and for one, to motivate your players to go out there and do it. Yes, it was a semi-final, but it was a given that they were going to get the result. I've seen this happen before where, you know, lesser teams come, they've playing against superstars. You up your game. That was their final. And Manchester City, from that first whistle went, they were on the, the attack. It was wave after wave. Half-time, you're 4-0 up. You take your foot off the pedal. No, they went for the jugular. And Pep went to his players and said, go and take it to a new level yet again. Forget about the grass. I'll sort that issue out. And for me, the way he got that message across to his players and the way the players performed, I do feel for Burton and Clough. Nigel Clough looked a broken man. He actually put his head under his, under his jacket towards the end because he had no answers. This was a special moment, and I do believe that the win over Liverpool has given them the confidence now that they can go and see this season out and, and win the title. It's an interesting point you make about them going on with it when they're 4-0 up at half-time. We heard a story a few years ago, Brazil World Cup, where Brazil, of course, famously lost 7-1 in a semi-final to Germany. Apparently at half-time, Luis Gustavo, a player that played for Brazil but club football in Germany, went into the opposition dressing room at halftime and said, hey, boys, can you go easy on us? Because in Brazilian culture, teams back off a little bit if they're 3 or 4-0 up. But in England, 9-0 for a Manchester City. It's almost disappointing, Smeltzy, that they didn't get 10. You get so close to double figures and they fell short. I'm sure they were trying to get 10, that's for sure. Uh, I think they've got that that mentality just to score goals, score goals. But um, I think nine's bad enough. It's not ideal. <laughs> I was going to say, though, surely, Rich, when you're even at 4-0 at half-time, there's every chance. If somebody's gone in and said, oh, listen, just just take it easy, there's every chance you can come out and get five in the second half. We've seen some classic matches between Tottenham and Arsenal where this has happened. I just think that the way Manchester City dealt with it, Pep Guardiola, you talk about mentality smelty, that comes from the manager, and that's what he's all about. I thought he was class two Guardiola at full-time because he went to every single player on the Burton side especially the goalkeeper, and obviously said to them, hey, head up, you know, you'll have better days than this, and you'd like to think they won't have too many worse. Yeah, well, he's, he's probably gone there and said, look, head up, you played against one of the best teams in the world at the moment. <laughs> and he said in the second leg, good luck against our youth team. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about Manchester City, though. They can put out what is their second team, and it's still so good because their squad depth is insane, and why for many they're still the favourites, even though they're four points behind Liverpool. Now, elsewhere at the bottom end of the table, there are a couple of relegation six-pointers because Burnley are at home to Fulham. Meanwhile, Cardiff are at home to Huddersfield, who have lost nine straight. Now, guys, looking at these four teams that are playing off for six points each this weekend, how many of them, Luke, do you think will go down? Look, for me at the moment, I think um, Huddersfield are... Are almost well and truly gone. There, the form that they're in, the the performances that we've seen, and with a few injuries, um, I, I can't see them. Obviously, eight points is a is a big big way to come back and losing nine in a row. I think, uh, yeah, for the other other positions, I think it could be any which one of them. 
Is David Wagner in the gun, do you think, Bridget? Because he's someone that has brought so much joy to Huddersfield, not only as a club but as a town as well. I happened to be at their celebration when they were promoted and he's just a god there. But does someone like him become in the firing line when the results, even if they've overachieved to get where they are, are so poor? I think everybody's accountable as a manager when it comes to results. But I believe that Wagner, what he has done for this football club and where he's brought them from, I think he is the man. I think if they make changes now, they're dead and buried. Uh, especially this game, Cardiff, 17th against 20th. Luke's just mentioned the eight points. This gap could go to 11 points from safety. That, That's, for me, not doable. You cannot. I've been in that situation before with Sunderland in the relegation, hated every minute of it, and you've got to scramble points. This is where it starts. And then the other one, Burnley, Fulham, 16th against 19th, a team that have not spent much money in Burnley, and a team in Fulham that have gone out and spent a lot of money. Fulham go down, lose this game, and they get relegated. This could hurt them for years. That's Leeds United spent a lot of money. The parachute payments can't go. This could really financially hurt Fulham um, if they haven't got like a backup plan or get out of trouble. Well, you talk about Wagner and getting rid of him, changing the dynamic of the club and resigning them to relegation. That's ex- essentially what Fulham did in getting someone like Ranieri and it's a short-term solution, not necessarily a long-term gain. So we'll see how that one plays out elsewhere this weekend. It all gets underway. A London derby, West Ham are at home to Arsenal. Elsewhere, Crystal Palace have Watford. Leicester have Southampton. Now, Chelsea, who are starting to look over their shoulder, they're at home to Newcastle. Can the Blues boys finish inside the top four unless they go out and buy at least one striker in this window, Smelty? Well, uh, uh, who knows? I mean, it's a real battle. There's a real battle going on there. Um, But Chelsea certainly have the quality. Um, they're, they're a club recognised for, for spending. So I'm, I'm going to say that they will go out and buy someone. Um, I think there's been a talk, there's been a lot of talk about them doing it for some time now. So um, when that happens and who it will be, uh, we'll wait and see. But I certainly expect is they it, will. Is there talk of Dybala and Iguin? They're the names that have been mentioned. Yeah, so in terms of an actual out-and-out number nine, they're linked with Inguain, Cavani, and potentially they could get both of those. That's one rumour doing the rounds, but also Callum Wilson. There's a rumour that they might throw £50 million at Bournemouth to get a guy that scored for England on his debut. He's scoring in the Premier League. He's a proven goal scorer in that league, but it shows how desperate they are and how little faith they have in Morata and Giroud. Well, it's frightening when you think you've got a World Cup winner as your striker, yeah, he didn't He didn't have a shot on target the whole tournament. He had a game plan. I just don't feel that these players, Morata's had it very tough. He is a very, very mm. good player. But when you're struggling in front of goal, there's nothing worse. Confidence is low. And Giroud, for me, is just not the player for Chelsea at this moment in time. Callum Wilson, he's scoring goals in Bournemouth. If you are scoring goals at Bournemouth and you get your international debut and you score a goal for them, it's a player that knows how to find the back of the net. And I believe that... It, it might not be the biggest name that the fans are after, but he could be the one to, to avoid that gap. And I, I'd back him all the way, to be fair. I think Chelsea fans will be looking at what Manchester United are doing at the moment because from a team that looked as though they were no chance of finishing inside the top four, suddenly United have a lot of momentum and Chelsea don't really. Elsewhere, of course, Everton are at home to Bournemouth. Time for some random topics, boys, and I'm going to get a one-word answer to each of these. And I'll start with you, Luke. Kiana, whoever debuting at 16 in the FA Cup for Liverpool is... Simply amazing. That was two words. <laughs> we'll take amazing there. I think that's fair enough to, uh, to say it is because at 16, that's crazy. Bridgie, what were you doing at 16? At 16, Richard. Very, very funny. Um, I was careful. A YTS, which means youth team scheme, um, youth policy contract at Sunderland. 
My job, I had two jobs, clean the players' football boots and to clean the away team dressing room. Now, Sunderland got a, a cup match against Liverpool and I had Robbie Fowler pictures all over my bedroom. I was a massive Liverpool, uh, well, Robbie Fowler fan, goal-scoring phenomenon. Liverpool fan? And I, no, Tottenham. But Robbie Fowler. Oh, dubbed yourself in. I know, I nearly did, nearly did. <laughs> but I admired the way they played. So I'm in the sheds after the game in the away team dressing room sweeping up and I've got the players used to throw the strapping tapes at you and say, clean that up, you, you know, you bleep and get it done. And it used to be an uncomfortable situation because you, you're mopping the dressing room. I witnessed Robbie Fowler walk into the toilet. And we only had one toilet for a number two and we had urinals there. It was the old school. And I saw Robbie go into the toilet. I thought, this is my moment. And anyway, when Robbie came out the toilet, I went in and I sat on the toilet so I could feel the warmth of Robbie Fowler's backside. I didn't tell him this until about seven years later when he turned up at Leeds United and he just looked at us after I told my story and just said, you were one weird man. I said, but I sat on God's throne, mate. It was a magic moment for me. So that was the highlight of my life at 16. <laughs> oh, the crowd go off. That's an unbelievable yarn, Bridge. <laughs> uh, he would have found that extremely strange when he played with you a little bit later on. That's what Bridgie was disturbing. doing. Disturbing. <laughs> disturbing. He was my hero. <laughs> oh, moving right along. Now, Maurizio Sarri saying he considers Callum Hudson Adoy on level pegging with Pedro and Willian is smeltsy. No. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I mean, the fact that Pedro and Willian are arguably some of the more consistent wingers in the English Premier League, this is, strikes me, Bridgie, is a little bit desperate. Now, for those of you that aren't aware, Bayern Munich are keen to buy a Callum Hudson Adoy, who's come through the Chelsea Academy, and they're throwing big money at a bid for him. But this is a player that Chelsea have never really given an opportunity to, yet now they've got their manager coming out and saying, oh, no, he's, he's as good as these other guys. Is that just to drive up the price, do you think, Bridgie? That's a price tag drive, definitely. And it, it's smart because there's no doubt Hudson Adoy is a cracking player. But you're talking Pedro, Willian, Hazard. It's very unlikely you're going to get a game. But what's happening, Rich, in Europe, these teams play each other. So everybody in Europe, all the clubs know about these younger players, what they're potentially worth. And yes, it's a lot of money, but I'll tell you what, it's a cracking player that they will be getting. And they obviously feel that he is right to fit into their team. And he's, he's got to be mad if he doesn't want to go. You, as you go with a big price tag, you're going to play. You could just be sitting playing second fiddle at Chelsea. So I think it's a great opportunity for Hudson Adoy and for the future of English football as well. I think he definitely wants to go. And it's very much in the Jaden Sancho mould of yeah. obviously teams in Germany picking players from England that have gone through a good youth system and, and clearly are ready to play first team football somewhere. Moving along, Bridget, I'll give this one to you. Brahim Diaz moved to Real Madrid for $34 million is a bargain. You think so? I do. It's two uh, words as well. Sorry, mate. Bargain. <laughs> you had to get He's one bargain. Back, didn't you? you were waiting for it, Luke. It's a bargain. Um, because he, he's a cracking player. I've admired him every time he's come on. And again, another player that when you're grabbing the attention of teams like Real Madrid, this is just credit to what the English players are getting coached like now when you've got your Pep Guardiola's and your Klops and Saris and um, Conte's come into this club to give them a football and knowledge how players can go into the European game now. English footballers were never seen as that. Um, the, you know, the Spanish players, they've got this football upbringing, this knowledge. Now English players are getting that. And I think this is great for Diaz. I think it's a bargain because Sancho left 
Manchester City for seven million. Now he's worth a hundred million. He's playing regular for Dortmund, and I just feel like this is the way that Diaz is going to go, and he's going to show everybody what he is about. Will Will he play though in Real Madrid? Will he go there and start to play? I mean, obviously he hasn't nailed down his Sporting City, so can he go to Real Madrid and do that? He's going to get a lot more game time at Real Madrid. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Then he would at Manchester City and I can see this lad playing come next season and being a starter. If Gareth Bale continues to be on the outer as well, there could be an opportunity there. And it's interesting that Real Madrid all of a sudden are fine to sign young players. They've got Vinicius Jr. there, who's very young as well as a winger. For a club so big, so glamorous, it seems crazy that a teenager can go there. But he's obviously got an awful lot of talent. Now, to stick with this theme of young players going for a lot of money... Luke Bournemouth paying Liverpool $34 million for an injured striker in Dominic Solanke is... Crazy. Stupid. You know, we always joke about the fact that Southampton is the feeder club to Liverpool. Well, Liverpool have become the feeder club to Bournemouth because Nathaniel Klein has also gone there. Maybe as well, it's it's a, you know, we look at this and say maybe Callum Wilson doesn't go to Chelsea because Solanke is injured. But to pay for someone that I think has only scored one Premier League goal and is untested, crazy world we're living in. It is. For that sort of money, um, you want someone who's tried and tested and proven. Um, I think it's great business. Liverpool, I think uh, they'll be rubbing their hands and packing his bags and you know pushing him down the motorway happily. Um, you know, even with that injury, they'll you know look they'll, they're happy. Um, I think you look at some of those those moves. You look at even you go back to the uh, Brad Smith, obviously an Aussie, and the sort of money that he was sold from Liverpool to Bournemouth for, um, and never 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 lived up to that value. And I think Liverpool have obviously seen that and seen in some of these younger boys. And if some, you know, you could say. You know, silly Premier League clubs are prepared to pay that sort of money for these players. They're saying, well, off you go. I thought Bournemouth might have actually learned from their past mistakes. Jordan Ibe, another player that's gone from Liverpool there that hasn't really done anything, and that was a strange move. And yet again, they're going to spend that kind of money on a player with one Premier League goal and could potentially lose the most you know, talented player in, in Callum Wilson. I just think, it's a, like Luke said, it's crazy and it's stupid. And they just don't seem to learn. But that is the market value at this moment in time, which is is mental. Well, they're only worth what you'll pay for them, aren't they? Exactly. Now, Gareth Bale leaving the Bernabeu before the final whistle against Real Sociedad. Smeltzy is? Stupid. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, the, they were losing. Um, obviously, it wasn't in the squad, but uh, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. We've seen it before, um, but he's an experienced player and... Uh, look, we don't know what's what's behind it. Maybe there is a, a valid reason, but uh, it's from the outside. It looks it looks silly. I think it's disrespectful for everybody associated with the football team, his teammates, and things like that. But from a Gareth Bale point of view, it's very smart because when you look at that watch and you see there's ten minutes to go before the end, and you want to beat the traffic out of the Bernabeu, smart man. 
Yeah, it is notoriously bad around there. That's a good call, Bridgie. From a current Real Madrid player to a former one, Bridgie, I'll come to you on this one. Luis Figo swimming with pigs in the Bahamas is not normal. And how was that? You go to the Bahamas, you look at how many football players go there and swim with pigs. I think there's more behind it, mate. Is there? I thought you were going to say that it's very normal. Is this, is this a fetish for you? It, it is. It is. It is normal. It's normal. So you, have you been to the Bahamas and swam with pigs? I haven't. You haven't? But it's on my bucket list. Is it? Yeah. Take us with you. <laughs> well, you know what the irony of this one is that those that cast their mind back might remember that Luis Figo has a history with pigs because, of course, he went yeah. from Barcelona to Real Madrid when he went back to Camp Nou to play. Barcelona fans threw a pig's head, dead, I'm uh, led to believe, at Luis Figo when he took a corner. So he's clearly making amends there. I just, I still find it strange. I still want to see what but this... But look, you, you haven't seen that. People go to the Bahamas. That's what you do. That's the beauty of it. Beautiful, clear waters and the pigs swimming there with you. So you'd rather swim with pigs than dolphins. I'm sure the well, Bahamas... Have swim with a pig before? Um, in my jacuzzi at Leeds, yeah, but that's a, that's a different story for a different show. But yeah. uh, <laughs> what you guys are doing there is a podcast series all by itself. Final one in these random ones. Uh, this one for you, Bridgie, as well. The favourite to win the League Cup is Manchester City. Yeah, it, it seems like a bit of an easy one to cast our minds back. Well, of course, not Rich because he's talking, speaking to a Spurs fan who have got Chelsea. They're only one nil up. Yeah, how many goals did they score though? Mm. City. Mm. Yeah, I th- it's interesting you look at Chelsea, they'd probably look at the second leg and say, we can't wait to play a second leg. Of course, it's controversial that there are two legs in the semi-final. I'm not so sure that Burton Albion will feel the exact same way. But as we move on to the Asian Cup, of course, so much focus here at the moment is on that, particularly given the fact that the Socceroos lost their first game 1-0 against Jordan. And there are issues in terms of not only the form of the team and the way they couldn't break down the Jordan defence, but also injuries as well. As a former Socceroo, Luke, how difficult do you see their situation at the moment yeah look it's not ideal it was um there's no hiding from the fact that it was a very very disappointing opening game um you know jordan you got to give them some credit they come with a great game plan they they made it difficult as everyone expected they will and as every other team coming up against the soccer as will um you look at mabil and his comments saying everyone's against us you know it's a little bit of a, a you know throwing your dummy out but that's that's the way it is that's the way it's always been for australia through asia um you know, and you've got to deal with that and you've got to get past it. So, look, the worrying thing is not necessarily even losing 1-0, but the manner in which we were lost. Um, there's going to be a reaction, I'm sure, of that. Uh, the only problem is, you know, where are the goals going to come from? The same we've been saying a long time. And the injuries, missing a few players, it's not going to be easy. You look at Graham Arnold, he's got a, a pretty difficult task, Smeltzy, because obviously with those injuries there – it's not helped. Tom Rogic, we're led to believe, will play against Palestine isn't an issue as such, even though he hurt his hand. But it's just come down to the fact that we just do not have the quality at the moment on the park to go and back up our title from 2015? Look, we don't have the same quality. Um, but if you if you look at it, we still have a very good team. Um, where, where are all the players from Jordan playing? Um, if, if you go around individually and look at the squads, you have to hold your hand up and say we still have the better team on paper. Um, but, I mean, looking at the the criticism, you, you see the criticism of Arnold and the Socceroos now and uh, you're going to get that. You're going to get that if you put in, that, especially that first half result uh, or performance against jo- uh, Jordan. Um, it wasn't good enough. Uh, the alarming thing is, you know, I heard Matty Ryan sort of saying that uh, 
they went into the game a little bit lacklustre, which I, I find hard to believe, you know, under Arnie, you know, Arnie, and it's it's um, that's one thing he's normally all over. Um, but if you're going to come out and say that you're going to, you know, uh, put your foot on the throttle in the first half and you're going to pin them in um, and you're going to dominate the game in a, in a massive way, if you're going to say these things and make statements like that, you have to come out and, and perform, and, and they didn't. Bridgie, the comparisons have been made between Jamie McLaren and Scott McDonald. I think it's an easy one to make because McLaren plays in Scotland, which is where, of course, McDonald played the majority of his club football as well. Of course, he famously never scored for the Socceroos, and there are concerns that Jamie McLaren might go down that path. Is it a bit too soon? Is that a bit unfair on a guy that's proven himself at club level to be able to score goals as a striker? Well, it's great because it's a comparison that the media have come up with and that, that's what they do, make, make headlines and come up with statements like that. And it sets the challenge down to Jamie. Jamie now has got to get rid of this this tag. He doesn't want to have that that statement attached to his name. So he's got to up his game and he's when the chances come, he's got to take them. And then he can just say, yep, that's enough. And he can release himself. I believe he's a very good player. He knows where the goal is. People say Scotland is an easy league to go to unless you're playing, you know, when you're playing against Celtic Rangers, they're the teams to beat. It's a very tough league to go and play in. It's a very tough place to go and score. He's done that. He's proven it and he's done it in that league as well. And I believe that he can go far further and score more goals um, for Australia. More than Scott McDonald, I hope. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you start. I think the thing with Jamie is that we've all seen him score goals in the A-League. And, and, and he's yes, he has done it overseas as well in Scotland. But a lot of his goals come when the game's stretched and he can run in behind. And that's his asset. I think when you were playing against the Jordan team where they got two banks of whatever it was sitting in behind, not a lot of room. He's not a great threat in the air. They had one bank of 11. Well, there you go. It's, you know, they, they had them parked in and they were working hard and there's not a lot of room for Jamie. Um, so the, the match probably didn't suit his qualities. Um, but that's, but that's, that's what you get when you go one deal down against them. It's also what we'll get against Palestine and Syria. It is. It's international football. It's a yeah. different game. You know, you look at Scotland, it's completely different. And, yeah. and you look at that with Scott McDonald as well. And he, he scored goals in the Champions League. He's... You know, he scored goals, but he couldn't do it at international level. It's a different game. And especially when you're playing through Asia and you've got them teams that are going to sit deep. That's And that's, look, that's where he's got value for the national team. Then if he can't play in that situation, then he's he value for the national yeah. team or he just stays at club level. Well, that's one of the players have got to step up and create them chances for the strikers. Mm. We saw Burton Albion defending tonight against, or this morning against Manchester City. Everybody was back. City found a win nine times and should have been 25. That comes from your coaches giving the players ideas and ways to break teams down. And it, that's going to happen at international level, like you said, but Jamie's got to stay in between them, the six-yard box. When you start drifting as a striker and you're, you're not in good form, Smelter, you've never had that issue. No, I, I did. I, I had to go and look for goals. You didn't, you scored them. <laughs> you end up finding yourself in positions in the field just to get a touch in the ball that you shouldn't be in. Yeah, yeah. When the crosses are coming, you're going, I should have been there. And you see the manager raging. Jamie's got to focus in between the sticks. Do not move out that area. Let the other boys do their job and you be on the end of the finishing. Well, there's plenty of criticism as well for someone like Tom Rogic. I think we all agree. And certainly the result against Jordan would indicate that they need to be far more incisive when they're being creative against sides that just sit back and wait for it. Jordan did it perfectly. They knew what was coming and they hit them on the counter and got the three points. The Socceroos need to bounce back against Palestine. Quick question for you, Bridgie, and you, Smeltzy, because I asked this to Luke at the top of the show. Can the Socceroos still win the Asian Cup? I'm not sure if you thought they could before the tournament, but as we sit here now, Smeltzy, do you think they can win it? Uh, I have big, big doubts. I, I would lean towards no. 
Um, I had doubts beforehand, um, and looking at the performance, uh, I think you, I know Arnie's come out and said if you're going to lose a game, maybe it's it's good to lose one in the group and, and first up. But I think um, for me, you need to start well. Uh, you're reigning champions in this cup. Um, you've got a big tag on your back. Uh, everyone's going to – the next two games aren't going to be easy either. Um, and then there's some there's some much bigger tests to come. Uh, and I don't see enough quality, enough confidence in the in the team to, to go and win. I said yes last week and I'm going to say yes again this week. Us, the first game, yeah, it was shocking to watch. They're going to learn from the mistakes. I remember watching a, a little bit of a clip of the French national team, Didier Deschamps, talking about the French's first game against Australia. He was disgusted with the work rate from the team, the distance covered, the passes. He addressed the situation. He put the players on notice and they went on to win the World Cup. So I'm going to say, yes, Australia will learn from the mistakes and go on to win this. Let's move on to some random stories we've seen around the way over the last week. And guys, I want to point your attention towards a quote from Roman Abramovich, of course, the owner of Chelsea, who did consider buying Spurs back in the mid-2000s or early 2000s before he bought Chelsea. But in his own words, he said that driving down the main street Tottenham High Road was worse than Omsk in Siberia. Now, Bridgie, you don't get a right to say anything on this because as a Tottenham fan, you'll be a little bit one-eyed. I'm going to go to you, Luke, because I think, did you maybe play in Siberia? You can maybe make that connection for us. Yeah, look, obviously I've been around there. Um, you know, it's actually quite funny because I guess it's like driving through Omsk and then you continue on driving through and you, f- you find yourself in Moscow and decide to buy a club in Moscow. <laughs> uh, so sorry, Bridgie, mate. <laughs> but obviously you want something a little bit more upmarket. Yeah, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit of a dig, and of course, ahead of that League Cup semi-final we saw this week, it uh, certainly didn't go down too well in some quarters. But Tottenham won that one, one nil. Now elsewhere, we did see that League Cup match that Tottenham played in. I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Bridgie, as a Tottenham fan. Now, Mauricio Pochettino put Harry Kane on late in this one. They were six nil up against Tranmere Rovers. He said, "Respect the people, respect the opponent." The Tranmere fans are not going to have the chances to see Harry Kane play in a competition here like this too often. Now, does that show the class of the man again, or do you think that's a little bit maybe, uh, I don't know, disrespectful to Tranmere to kind of, you know, say to their fans, you know what, you don't see really good footballers ever. Let's put Harry Kane on. I don't think Pochettino could be um, disrespectful. Yeah. I don't see that in his mannerism and his nature. And I think he was trying to, Harry Kane's just won the golden boot for England. He's loved by the English fans, and I think he's got a very, very valid point. A lot of these fans from Tramia Rovers would have been supporting and cheering Harry Kane on at the World Cup, and I just think he did it as an honourable thing. Yeah, you're always going to get uh, people seeing that both ways, um, but I think uh, I agree with Bridgie. Is uh, I think it's a great thing. Throw him on. Uh, he could have left him off and. And they don't get to see him. Then they'll be whinging as well. Well, that's exactly right. And he's such a great omen as well for Tottenham. He's scored in six matches straight in all competitions now. So Harry Kane, he clearly is their talisman. Now, speaking of talisman, I've got a quiz question for you boys. Which player has the most wins in 2018 or had the most wins over the calendar year of 2018? The clue is that they play in the big five leagues, England, Spain, Germany, France, and Italy. So not a Scottish player, no? Unfortunately not. That's the sixth biggest league in the world. So who is it? Mbappe. Boys? Oh, you're going to the French. I was thinking more along the lines of Tony Cross at Real Madrid or Fernandinho of Manchester City. I think it's got to be that little midfield role. Mm. I'm going Van Dijk. Okay. Oh, good shout, by the way, Milton. I think Holland's done well in the... No. Well, they haven't done well oh, enough because no. they, they weren't at the World Cup. No. 
So that's out. So it could be Kante of France and Chelsea? You're not too far away in that it's French. Luke was right on that. But of course he was. It's not Mbappe. Well, you didn't get it right. You were half right. <laughs> it's Blaise Matuidi, of course, Juventus, oh. and of course went on to win the World Cup with France as well, which obviously says a lot about, one, the fact that you've won a World Cup, you've played more matches, yeah. but also the fact that Juventus in Italy are so dominant. And he's a player that maybe doesn't quite get the recognition, you would think, alongside other guys, such as Kante and Pogba, and obviously alongside Griezmann, behind Giroud, Mbappe, etc. Have you ever played with a player, guys, that you think or you've seen a player that in winning teams doesn't get the recognition that they deserve? Uh, you talk about underrated um, when you're talking about that, you're talking about maybe from the fans or from the media and all the rest, but they're the most rated players yeah. within, within the team. The within the group, they're the ones that are the most you know, held in the high regard and actually the ones that the media and all the fans and all the rest are pumping up. Well, there's two names I'm going to give you. He wasn't underrated, but it was Paul Scores because he never did the media because he didn't want it. He did his talking on the pitch as opposed to David Beckham. Scores he couldn't do David Beckham's shoelaces up. But Beckham was a, an icon, he was a media magnet, so his global state was, was huge. When he talked about football and basis scores, he all over them. I didn't play with either of them, played against them, but David Batty at Leeds United was our number six. Batty didn't even like football. And when I asked him why he was playing it, and he said it pays the bills. I couldn't believe it. He, he played for England, he missed the penalty. And... He, all he wanted to do was make enough money to buy a motorbike GP racing team. So he never did any interviews. He never did nothing. But I'll tell you what, he would be the first name on the team sheet because Bats would run through a brick wall. He would kick Vinnie Jones's head in on the park and he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Matweedy, 48 wins across 2018. That's mightily impressive. Of course, doing his stuff at the moment for Juventus. Now, boys, to finish us off, let's play Would You Rather? And I'm going to start from the perspective of Newcastle fans. If you are a Newcastle fan, would you rather have Mario Balotelli or no Mario Balotelli? Luke? Uh, no. No. He's that f- sort of figure, isn't he? I mean, as a footballer, he's had his ups and downs. But, of course, Manchester City's stint there was hilarious for all the wrong reasons at times. You've played at that club. Do you think someone like Balotelli, Bridgie, is a good idea? I'd love to see Balotelli at Newcastle United for two reasons, Rich. One, to see the antics that he gets up to on the tune on a night out and sees how he goes with the Geordie Shaw crew. And two, to see how he can rub Mike Ashley up the wrong way. He is going to be a nightmare to handle, and I'd love to see him there. I think, I think looking at it, he'd be a good short-term fix and that's probably what they need at the moment. Um, wherever he goes, he seems to do well at the start and then he falls away with his usual antics. So short-term fix for me, he'd be good. You wonder whether Rafa Benitez is the man to sort him out. A lot of good managers have tried. I mean, arguably Roberto Mancini's the only one that's got the best out of him. Patrick Vieira at the moment at Nice hasn't been able to. So let's hope it happens. We'd love to see him back in the Premier League. Speaking of players we'd love to see back in the Premier League, if you are Philippe Coutinho, would you rather move to United or stay at Barcelona? Smeltzy? Um, tough one. Um, the way United's looking and, and, you know, you expect things to move in the right direction, possibly for next year as well, it, it could be a good move for him. Um, I think obviously he enjoys the Premier League. Um, so I would say, I would say move. It's a tough one without knowing who the manager is, I guess, next year madness, as well. Madness, absolute madness. You'd leave, leave Barcelona to go and play for United at this moment in time. You must be mad. And the thing with Coutinho, <laughs> he is worshipped by Liverpool fans as well. 
Manchester United and Liverpool absolutely hate each other, whether you're a fan or an ex-player. And if he goes to Manchester United, he tarnishes everything that he ever achieved at Liverpool with the fans. His Instagram account and his Twitter account will just half. I'm telling you. <laughs> you're overnight. worried about that. That's all you're worried about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forget about that. Can you imagine rainy Manchester or living in Barcelona, playing the new mm. camp? And, but again, also yeah. going to the rival of your former club, I think it'd be crazy. Do you think players think about that stuff in terms of, oh, okay, I played for Club A. I would never play for Club B as yes. their rivals because it's happened many times, including... Yeah. Some do, some don't. Yeah. Well, Harry Kuehl, the biggest example. Rio Ferdinand going from Leeds to Manchester, Leeds to Manchester United. United. Alan Smith, Leeds I to think, Manchester United. I think United. more so nowadays they don't think too much about it, I think, personally. I think back in the day, yes, but now... Well, I couldn't believe it when Alan Smith was Mr. Leeds, left to go to play for Manchester United under Ferguson as a midfielder because he wanted them to come in place of Roy Keane. Because Smithy had a good red card record. Uh, I just find it <laughs> staggering. And then there was the Harry Kuehl incident when Harry Kuehl signed for Galatasaray after so many good years at Leeds United. We we lost two fans in the UEFA Cup semi-final that was sadly stabbed in Istanbul and Leeds hated Galatasaray. Well, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a different one. That's touching on something completely different. Completely you can't, different. You can't but make a decision in your career over something that's happened off the field. But that's, Harry is an intelligent man and intelligent, intelligent footballer. He didn't realise how much that would affect him with the Leeds United fan yeah. base and future employment with the football club. Mm. It is a tough one because we all want loyalty in the game, but we have to be realistic as well. He might not have the option, but you know what? Whether it's Barcelona or Manchester United, they're not bad options either way mm-hmm. for Philippe Coutinho. Now, speaking of a man that we didn't think would have too many options, but it seems like he does. If you are Real Madrid, Florentino Perez, of course, the president, would you rather have Mourinho or no Mourinho as your boss? He's linked once again to returning to Real Madrid. Well, look, um, obviously they know better than anyone how how he works and how to deal with him. So if they're ready to take him back, obviously they've got a lot of respect and, and believe in him. But I mean, judging by his past record and I guess especially this recent stint with some of the players at, at Manchester United and obviously Ramos, how he's come out and said about Mourinho, I think um, I think it'll be a, a big risk. There were questions over whether or not his career had got to that crossroads, but he's been linked with a return to Inter Milan and now a return to Real Madrid. So maybe what happened at Manchester United won't affect his reputation. Oh, I think he'll always always get another job and, and it'll be a decent job. Um, I think for now he probably just needs to go have a good holiday. Um you know, what happened at United's not great for him. Um, probably just needs to go and reflect uh, and take time. I think it's probably too early for me just to jump straight into a massive job Real Madrid, even though he's done it before. He probably knows he can do it again. Um, but after what's happened there with players and all that, he just needs to go relax with his money for a little bit and, and, and enjoy himself, I think. I think he should leave the Lowry Hotel where he got that massive bill at Manchester <laughs> United and left him with it and go and find a hotel that overlooks the city training ground and observe Pep Guardiola's training <laughs> sessions for a whole year and then say, right, I'm ready for a new job. <laughs> Wait for Ramos to retire. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a good shout. And of course, when it comes to Real Madrid, Santi Tolari is not in a great place. They're in fifth at the moment. I think that's a bit of a poison chalice as a manager's gig. Let's see if Mourinho heads back there anytime soon. Now, finally, guys, the very last question. Bridgie, I'll come to you on this. The FIFA Ultimate Team came out and the 2019 Team of the Year featured a front three of Messi, Ronaldo and Mbappe. The question is, would you rather anyone else? Yes, I would, Rich, and I would like it to be that man, Salat from Liverpool, for what he's done over the last season and a half. Who for? 
can't take on Messi. I think he's an absolute genius, the world's best player, followed by the second best Ronaldo to ever grace the football field because the Brazilian was the best in the fat Ronaldo. And I would get rid of Mbappe and I would have Salah. <laughs> I can't agree with that. I, um, I You look at those three in the form and the, the quality, the pace, I, I wouldn't change any of them. Smelty? Yeah, I wouldn't change that. Even Bridges... Um Decision. Salah. Not Look what he that. did last season. Champions League final. All the goals he scored. Fantastic. Mm. Number four. But yeah, runner up <laughs> yeah, in the Champions four. League. <laughs> runner up in the Champions League compared to winning the World Cup. It's an interesting debate, Bridgie. But I'm, I don't quite know. Put his goals on the table against Mbappe's goals. I'm taking Salah all day long. It's a good debating point to have. If you have any thoughts on it, just tweet Bridgie and just give him as much abuse as you like. We completely sanction that here at Optus Sport. We're out of time on the Gagan Pod. It's been a pleasure to have my guests alongside me, Shane Smeltz, Michael Bridges and Luke Wilkshire. And we'll have your company hopefully next time when Dave Weiner will be back. Have a great weekend. Take care.